Welcome, welcome back to Murder and Mediumship. I'm your host, Catherine Galvin, psychic medium and true crime addict. Before we get started with today's episode, the general disclaimer, as you all know, I'm not by any means saying that I have all of the answers here, but what I offer is a psychic insight and sometimes a connection as a medium to those who were victims in these cases, so long as they're willing to participate. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, or so they say. And if you are listening to this around its release date, then you still have time to get into our intuitive development class that starts on February 1st and runs for six weeks. The class is going to be split into an evening and a daytime group as we have a lot of people interested. I mean, there are over 20 people in and I honestly am just blown away at the interest in this course. So everything will be recorded and sent to your email. And if you can't make a session, no worries about being there live. I highly encourage it. But again, it'll be sent to your email. If you've been waiting to step into your intuitive gifts, but finances have held you back, then please know that this is on a sliding scale basis. You pay what you are comfortable paying within your budget for this course. I cannot wait to see my true crime fans in this class with me. And the link to join the course is, of course, in the show notes, of course. (laughs) And the very last thing. We're looking for a charity to donate proceeds of the Patreon group too. So if you would like to nominate a charity, send in your request to Katherine Galvin at katherineandintuitive.com and Patreon members will be able to vote for the charity of their choice. Again, that link will always be in the show notes. As we get into this today, I have something a little bit different going on here. I have recruited slash shamed, guilted, strong-armed my husband, Mike, into recording this episode with me. He has no idea what he's getting into and has never even listened to an episode of this podcast, which you know what? I'm not even upset about because you guys all know already I talk some shit sometimes. I don't actually. Also, for all of you listening, I just want you to know that he does a lot of head nodding and not a lot of speaking, so we're going to try to break him out of the shell tonight. It is pure torture. I would like you guys to imagine that you and another real estate agent are showing a $5.3 million home. And as you make your way through the home, all five bedrooms and nine bathrooms, that number kind of confuses me. That is a lot of bathrooms. A lot of bathrooms for five bedrooms, isn't it? It sure is. And two people living in that home. Who cleans all those bathrooms? I mean, they have a five-bedroom, nine-bathroom house that's obviously got a housekeeper, which we will meet later in the episode. But your clients are oozing with excitement overseeing the indoor pool located in the basement of the sprawling mansion in an affluent neighborhood of Toronto, Canada. It's a good place for an indoor pool. Why is that? Arctic tundra. <laughs> My husband is a Southerner at heart. I'm from upstate New York, and he thinks that anything below 70 is kind of cold. So it's really me. But anyway, as they eagerly enter the pool area, you spot something that you quite you can't quite figure out, but you know that it can't be good. And the closer you get, you realize that in front of you are the owners of the property, fully clothed, with their jackets pulled down around their shoulders. The male 75-year-old Barry Sherman, owner and CEO of generic pharmaceutical company Apotex, is sitting upright with his legs extended out and crossed at the ankles. His head is held up by a belt fixed around his neck and looped to the pool railing. His wife, 70-year-old Honey Sherman, noted philanthropist and all-around giving and gracious woman, is slumped over on her side, also held in position by a belt fixed around her neck, 
and to the pool railing. Not missing a beat, the agent directed the couple touring the home away from the pool and back into the rest of the house, telling them that the pool wasn't available for viewing at that time, that they could see it at a later date. I gotta say, I I don't even know, people have kind of surmised that this is suspicious of the real estate agent, but can you even imagine showing a house worth millions of dollars and there are dead bodies inside the in-ground pool. Like the in-ground pool is a selling point and there are dead bodies there. I can't, I don't feel like this was shady at all. I think that this was totally her pivoting and trying to get the hell out of there. So she immediately calls Mary, Honey Sherman's sister, before she calls the police, who urges her to call the police. But if you even do a small amount of looking around, you'll see that Honey and Barry were highly praised by the Jewish community, by multiple charities, and loved by so many friends and neighbors. So at first glance, this makes absolutely no sense as to why someone would have taken their lives, especially in such a vile way. And as far as them calling Mary first, I really think this was more of like a shock factor. It wasn't necessarily like the real estate agent hiding anything. So when police arrive on the scene, they noted that there was no indication of a break-in. But according to those who knew Honey and Barry, the door was rarely locked as they were the type of people to invite just about anyone in. Despite having various security cameras, they weren't up and running, as Barry seemed to have only purchased them to appease family members, but didn't see the point in having them, as he had no fear of anyone. Which you will find later that I think is a really arrogant belief to have had for who he was within the community, but, I mean... You know, I got nothing here. I find that a little delusional being that you're the owner of a drug company in which incredible growth was achieved through litigation over patents of the name brand companies. He had to piss somebody off. Oh, he pissed a lot of people off in the process. A lot of people off. I mean, he was a pharmaceutical tycoon in love with litigation with name brand drug companies. How could he not have pissed people off? But while the housekeeper had already been in the house... She had noticed a number of things were off that morning, like the bed being made when typically it wouldn't be upon her arrival. Honey's bathroom sink was dry, which should have been wet after being used that morning, but it wasn't. And even the newspaper was still outside when typically she would have found Barry in the kitchen reading it when she arrived on a Friday morning. And the last time the couple had been seen was two days prior, Wednesday, December 13th, 2017, at Apotex headquarters. And this was a place that Honey didn't really visit very often. By the way, Honey is not her her given first name, but this is what she goes by by everyone. So that's what we're going to call her here. So they were talking about plans for the construction of their new home because their five bedroom, nine bath wasn't big enough. I would assume they had too many bathrooms and enough bedrooms, but again, they're two people. So anyhow, his last known communication, Barry's last known communication, was an email sent to the vice chair of Apotex, Jack K, at 8.33 p.m. Well, he wasn't expecting to hear back from Barry that evening. Jack did send a second email around 6 p.m. on the 14th, the following day, to which Barry did not respond to, despite being known for instant replies. And Honey had left hours before Barry, who had stayed to continue to work. And I want to say something about those instant replies, because we all have those friends who are hooked to their phones so you know when they don't answer you right away that they're choosing not to respond to you, right? And it's it's probably like when you send me Facebook memes, right? 
<laughs> so the last known activity from Honey was a phone call placed at 6.21 p.m. on the 13th. And though I get the idea that she wasn't home yet when she made that call, I feel like I see her placing the call from either her car or maybe she stopped along the way, but I really do see her in the car placing that phone call. I don't know what cell phone laws are in in Canada. I know they're different for every state within the United States. But here in Virginia, you are allowed – oh, wait, did they just change that? Are you allowed to be on the phone with it held to your head? I, I think that you're still allowed to. But if we drive through like Maryland to drive back up to upstate New York to visit my family, they don't even like – Maryland doesn't even want you to have a phone in the car at that. I mean, really, you should like put it in your trunk. It's ridiculous how um, how strict they are on those rules. But regardless, I really feel like Honey was making that call from her cell phone in her car on the way home after leaving Apotex. But that is just intuitive. That is not documented anywhere. So regardless, it was the last time that she was heard from. And there were various missed calls on her cell phone that was found in her home. And these calls were mostly from the 14th. Honey's own personal assistant wasn't working with Honey that week either, which would have been very helpful. But because of the fact that Honey was had an upcoming trip to Miami to visit her sister Mary, she wasn't, she didn't, she decided not to keep her personal assistant on schedule that week. And I believe her assistant was also going out of town. So they just called it early and it was done. Well, one thing that the police did notice was that Honey had been hit across the face, but Barry seemed to have no injuries. So cracking into the autopsies, the official autopsy was conducted the day after the bodies were found on December 16th, 2017, and it was assumed based on the way in which they were found that their deaths were caused by strangulation. However, when someone is killed, their hyoid bone is typically no longer intact. Well, according to the forensic pathologist, an intact hyoid, hyoid bone, oh my goodness, excuse me, hyoid bone is usually indicative of suicide. So both Harry and Honey's hyoid bones were intact which again is consistent with suicide in case you missed all of that and whatever rambling just happened there. However, this is a general rule of thumb. It doesn't always have to be this way. It doesn't have to indicate suicide. It was surmised then that Barry must have knocked Honey out in another part of the home and dragged her down to the basement where he placed her as she was found before committing suicide by hanging himself with his own belt while Honey is strung up with another male belt. So, Barry came into the house, grabbed a belt, hit his wife across the face, strangled her, and hung her up with the belt in the seated position, and then killed himself by slow strangulation, belted to a pool guardrail. Sounds plausible. It does not sound plausible. So the problem with this theory is that Barry actually had very little muscle mass and weighed about the same as Honey did, who was very physically active and in pretty good shape, especially for someone at 70 years old. So if anyone had the physical capacity to drag the other to the pool area, it would have been Honey who was more likely able to do so, at least physically. It didn't add up that a man in his mid-70s with little muscle mass and not physically active at all would be able to accomplish this. He lived a very sedentary lifestyle. So when it was released in a press conference that it was ruled a murder-suicide, and that Barry had in fact murdered his wife and then took his own life, their children were beside themselves. And they did not accept this theory after communicating with friends of theirs whose Jewish millionaire parents were also murdered just the year before in Florida. They were told to hire a private investigator and that 
Police ultimately would do little to help them if it went at all like it had, in fact, for them. So a second autopsy was ordered, and this time was performed just four days later. The second forensic pathologist was the former Ontario senior forensic pathologist and at the time the current senior forensic pathologist at Toronto Children's Hospital. And he was joined by three private investigators in the room who had all been hired by the Sherman Kids attorney, Brian Greenspan. All I'm saying here is that this guy wasn't a quack. He was someone who was well-noted within the medical community. He wasn't just some schlub that they hired to make it sound better for them. The first pathologist was also present with photos of the crime scene and photos of the bodies before the autopsies. And it was noted that both Honey and Barry had wrist marks indicating being physically restrained. And why would Barry physically restrain himself? That doesn't even make sense. It's not even really possible. So further, it was noted that the injury to Honey's face had to have been received just before or just after her death, as it showed no signs of bruising. Just interjecting with what I see in my mind's eye as it all plays out is her being hit, I believe, with the handle of a gun before she is restrained. But again, that's just what I'm seeing. I really have no proof of that. That is why this is murder and mediumship slash psychic insight. That's on in the small print. You can't see the part. <laughs> so anyway... Both autopsies did agree that the cause of death of both Barry and Honey was, was in fact, strangulation. It was neck compression or strangulation likely caused by the belts found at the scene, but they did think more so in the second autopsy that it was likely done with a rope or something else and the belts were there as just a means of displaying or, or it was like an afterthought. So, it was definitely concluded the second in the second autopsy that it was a double homicide. And while the cause of death was changed from suicide, suicide to homicide for Barry, it had already been released to the public the day after the first autopsy that it was a murder-suicide. And his funeral actually took place with the community thinking that he murdered his wife and then committed suicide, which is something that... You know, when you hit that news cycle and you hear that first thing, it doesn't matter if it's printed or changed later on the news. That's That first report is typically what people take with them. So the press conference to inform the public that it was actually a double homicide wasn't held until 42 days after the discovery of the bodies. It's a, it's a pretty big backstop. I mean, 42 days. They've already buried them. According to the community, he was a murderer. When in truth, he was actually murdered. So that is unfortunate. I don't really think he was the most innocent person in the world, but it is still unfortunate. So you guys ready for the intuitive insight? First, I want to take a second to thank all of my listeners for getting on Spotify and giving me those stars to increase listenership on Spotify now that they have finally added the option to leave reviews. For those of you on iTunes, keep those reviews coming and thank you so, so much for your kind words and encouragement. This is the last week to sign up for the six-week intuitive development course hosted by yours truly. So don't forget that this is on a sliding scale basis. I know we touched we touched on this in the beginning of the episode. It's very affordable to everyone looking to grow and better understand their intuitive gifts. And the class will be split into evening and daytime or a daytime during the week and then one on the weekend as so many people have signed up. You will be receiving an email if you have already signed up with, an, with a poll on which would be the preferential class for you. So if you're ready to dive in and learn about being an empath, utilizing your psychic gifts, growing as a medium, and practicing all of this in smaller groups, then join. Do not wait. It's okay if you can't make every class. They will be recorded and sent to you within 48 hours of each class. 
And don't wait for the next time I host this, as I'm likely only going to do it twice a year, or this could even end up being the only time I ever host it. You really never know with me. So I look forward to seeing my true crime fans join me and growing their intuitive gifts and being a part of this awesome community. Now, to the intuitive insight around the murder of Barry and Honey Sherman. This is what I see happening around the deaths of Barry and Honey. It's not just my opinion based on what I read about the case, but what I received when solely meditating on their photographs and their names before reading anything about the case. When I sat down to connect to Barry and Honey, I had much stronger communication with her, but felt a closed off, secretive, almost angry energy from him. I didn't even really get a full image of who he was, his physical appearance, because he felt so closed off to me. And after I finished collecting information from them on the other side or from Psychic Insight, I then go into researching the case and seeing what makes even more sense based on what I saw. The first thing that I heard was, quote, fully clothed, which we all know is how they were found. And I know that they were seen as very charitable individuals, but my immediate sense was more that they were after Barry, not Honey, and that Honey was an unfortunate casualty in this situation. Before knowing who Barry was, I got the impression that he was an attorney, although after finding out how in love he was with litigation and taking other companies to court, which again, we'll get to in a moment, or even his own family through the judicial system, it made sense that attorney would come up, though it wasn't his profession. Maybe we'd call it a favorite pastime. I also feel, though, that strongly, strongly, strongly feel that whoever approached them on their property, they did have a gun. And that is my opinion, why we didn't see a struggle. Because these people in their 70s were, one, taken by surprise, and two, taken one at a time. I felt that the attacker was male, though I received the word, quote, father, and I'm not entirely sure how that fits in exactly, but I do have an idea. And let's remember that Honey had left hours before Barry to go straight home. And she had pulled down into their property alone. So she would have been seen entering by herself. And I do feel that while they didn't personally know their attacker, the attacker was hired by someone that they did know. Not necessarily family, but someone that they knew, maybe family. I'm not comfortable saying that I definitely believe it was family, but maybe it was. So what else came up? In the initial session feeling into their murder, I got the phrase, they did so much charity, but there was nothing for me, leading me to believe that he felt ostracized and cut out of something that maybe he was entitled to. Honey wasn't necessarily guilty of anything that outright damaged this man, but as Barry's wife and the way she spent and invested or donated that money, this really pissed that guy off. So I believe that the killer was hired by this person who may or may not have been family, <coughs> was definitely family to the Shermans. And as I said before, Barry was very tight-lipped and I felt that energy but didn't necessarily speak to him. It's so funny that I got the word drugs but immediately thought illegal drugs. So at first when I was reading about this and him being a pharmaceutical tycoon, I didn't really connect drugs to it in that way. And then it dawned on me, obviously these are legal drugs, not illegal ones. But I did also hear a very like angry voice kind of saying like, F you, F you both. But I don't think that that was said at the scene, more so that it was thought by the person who was responsible for the death. So what does all of this mean? Mike loves when I have my little intuitive hits. I'm sure it drives him crazy by this point. But more than 131 million Americans take at least one prescription medication regularly. 
Of those 131 million Americans, the average number of prescriptions taken regularly is four per person. Keeping that in mind, there are 288 generic drug companies worldwide that supposedly make the cost of those prescriptions more affordable to the average person, while their name brand competition continues to keep prices high. Apotex was one of the highest producing generic drug companies in the world and actually made Barry Sherman the 12th wealthiest man in Canada. So he wasn't just some rich, staunchy asshole living in an affluent community. He was one of the richest affluent assholes living in a nice community. So at the time of his death, he was worth 3.2 billion US dollars. And Mr. and Mrs. Charitable, were they really seen that way by absolutely everyone? I would venture to say not. First of all, and there are multiple books written about their murders, about this couple, and about prescription, the prescription drug industry and Apotex and other companies involved. But Barry, according to the author of Prescription Games, Jeffrey Robinson, Barry was a prick. Excuse my French Canadian. <laughs> if he needed you to pay $150,000, he wouldn't hesitate to spend $3 million in court. He just wanted to win. And Robinson also described Sherman as someone who always had an agenda, whether it was creating jobs in Canada, protecting the little guy against Big Pharma, etc. But that philanthropic agenda was in fact very much to benefit him in the process, right? Barry's integrity had been called into question numerable times. They had donated millions to United Jewish Appeal, United Way, and various other Jewish charities. While Barry was a self-described atheist, Honey was active in her Jewish faith and the Jewish community and served on a number of charity boards. But back to that integrity. It was discovered that he had actually been making some of these large donations, the largest of the large donations actually, to charities and foundations that were set up in his company's name or even his own name in order to get the tax breaks and essentially just donate back to his own name. And I kind of wonder if these were some of the boards that Honey was a part of, these fake organizations. My point in explaining all of this, the falsified charities, the litigation, the taking billions of dollars from name brand companies, it didn't create friends by any means. So when I would hear in interviews when I first started researching this case that no one knew who would want Barry and Honey dead, they're in Big Pharma. Who wouldn't want them dead? They clearly have a lot of competition. Competition and enemies. So as far as making those enemies goes, Barry even had them within his own family. Barry was always a very intelligent and very motivated individual. He attended MIT to study astrophysics, which is where he was when his uncle Lou Winter died. And Barry offered to buy Empire Labs, his uncle Lou's pharmaceutical laboratory. Uncle Lou had four children of his own, and Barry had promised those four children that when they were 21, they could work for Empire. And then at 23, if they were still working there, they could buy up to 5% of the company if Barry still owned it. Do you think Barry still owned it when they turned 23? Absolutely. Of course he did not. He sold it. So he sold it. The agreement was void, but the way that he went about it was so, so terrible. He still owned it, but it was in the name of a different company. Well, of course, right? So Lou's kids couldn't buy any percentage of it whatsoever. They in turn sued Barry and Apotex, alleging that they were entitled
believe even in your own family? Come on. So when the Daily Mail interviewed Carrie Winter, the supposed leader of the brothers, the children of Uncle Lou, Barry's cousins, he insisted that Barry killed Honey and that Barry had even talked about it at length before, multiple times. According to Carrie, Barry had even tried to get him to help get rid of Honey not once, but twice before the death of the both of them. He claimed that all of this took place in the 90s and that ultimately Barry bailed, not Carrie. I'm not sure why you would want to admit that to law enforcement, that you were willing to do a murder for hire for your uncle, but here we are. Carrie Winters failed a polygraph about this and failed hard. He was shown to be lying about the entire murder for hire plot, though he would argue that he was simply, quote, misremembering. He was misremembering due to his history of drug use. Illegal or pharmaceutical, I'm not sure. I imagine either were easy to get a hold of. But we're not even going to get into the fact that Barry's own children were talking about the things that they would buy with their share of the parents' estate literally a day after they died. This is disrespectful as fuck, but I can't speak to their personal relationships with their parents. Besides that, I don't believe that they were involved. There is a possibility that one of them was, but we're going to leave that to speculation into your own research because I'm not entirely sure I go back and forth on that one. When initially interviewed by police, Carrie's response was, fucking hell, he finally did it. Barry finally killed the bitch. He wanted to be sure that his hiring of the hitmen or hitman, though I do believe there was more than one present, wouldn't come back to him. Why haven't they connected this? Barry had secrets. And Barry had money. And Barry shared some of those secrets and pharmaceutical ties with others higher up in government. If they further investigate the death of Barry and Honey Sherman, they will uncover more than what they desire to be known about them as well. I'm not going to deep dive into some rabbit hole about Big Pharma here, no worries. I will say, though, that a few years following Barry's death in 2020, Apotex and a number of other generic drug companies, there were 22 of them in total, were found to be conspiring together to keep the cost of various generic drugs higher across the board and thus creating a monopoly of sorts. Shocking, I know, in the generic drug market. No one company would sell their generic version for less than another. Therefore, they would all be able to make ridiculously high profits. You've never heard of anything like that, right? That's not price gouging at all. No, not at all. That kind of thing doesn't happen in North America. So the thing is, though, that dirty government isn't a secret and it's not even a conspiracy. I would be shocked if all of this started after Barry's death. If the killer was going to be found by now, in this case, I think that he would have. And by that, I mean the man who hired the killers, who also knew that it was unlikely surveillance would be on because he knew them. Further, I do believe, like I said, Honey was attacked first, and I think that she was kept tied up and alive until Barry got home, who would then see her and instantly be taken by the men there as well. They didn't stand a chance. Honey and Barry, that is. The mark on Honey's face because she attempted to fight back and was struck once for it? Barry wasn't going to fight seeing that. All I have to say is this. I'm not accusing anyone. I merely think that the answer is as obvious as we could possibly think that it is. But that doesn't mean the case will ever be solved. 
In an interview, Carrie Winters said, ethics and morals didn't have much of a place in the way he, Barry, did business. You can go through life and not harm people, or you can go through life and leave carnage in your wake. And you look behind my cousin Barry, there were just bodies littered. He sounds very content and proud of his cousin, doesn't he? By the way, three months before Barry and Honey were killed, a judge sided with Barry and threw the case Carrie Winter had brought against him over being entitled to owning a portion of the proceeds of Apotex. He threw it out of court. And if that wasn't bad enough for dear Uncle Lou's children, one week before the death of Barry and Honey, just one week Another judge then ordered the Winter Brothers to pay $300,000 in legal fees to Barry, to which Barry took it graciously, right? Nope. He intended to appeal and get $1 million in legal and court fees. And I'm going to leave it at that. If you like what you hear, leave some stars for murder and mediumship and some kind words. And for those of you enrolled in the intuitive development course, I'll see you soon. If you are a part of the Patreon group, then we will see you and John Wayne Gacy on the 28th of January. May your days be filled with true crime stories, love and light. And everyone let Michael know what a wonderful job he did speaking more words. And he's probably almost spoken in our entire marriage. (laughs) Y'all take care. Want to say goodbye, Mike? Good night. (laughs) Thank y'all for tuning in.